0: Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. You have your Bible today. I invite you and encourage you to join me in Matthew chapter 5. That passage, like I said, is no doubt becoming very familiar to you. Your Bible should open right up to Matthew chapter 5, but look at Matthew 5 today. Today on this Father's Day, we're going to do things a little different. And I love that today's Father's Day because we celebrate things like Father's Day, Mother's Day, and all these different days. And one of the things that that does for us is that highlights for us to think about that we were made for relationship. We were made for relating with one another. Well, today, let me tell you this. I have a very important truth to tell you. It's really the only message that I proclaim, and I proclaim it every week and just in a different way, but I have this important truth to tell you today. You were made for an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. You were created to spend forever with God. Is there anything that's better than that? Can you think of anything that would be better than you spending forever with absolute purity, with absolute love, with all that is good, you were made to spend forever with God. Now, we know that where we live today, it's very obvious to see that that forever doesn't really feel like it sometimes. That forever, as a matter of fact, has come under attack, and it's become under attack by our own doing. And the sad part about humanity and the place that we're in as a society is that we have chosen to walk away from the God who has come to walk with us. You and I, we were made for fellowship with God. And so what God has done, since we're outside of His fellowship, we were born outside of that fellowship, He has put within us this longing for a relationship. Everyone has a desire for relationships. Everyone has a desire for a substantive form of community. And those bonds that we form with one another in relationship, in fellowship with one another, they are to create this longing that's already there in our hearts, a longing for more, a longing for something that we were intended to have, and that is a forever with God. So I want us today to think about on this Father's Day from Matthew chapter 5, the most intimate of human relationships. And the most intimate of human relationships that pictures the forever that we'll have with God is holy matrimony. And that is when a man and when a woman become one flesh. And because it's so important, it's the best picture that we have of the forever that we'll have with God. Because it's the most important and the purest picture that we'll have that we can know, it's vehemently under attack. And because it's vehemently under attack... We have to do our diligence to do whatever it takes to defend marriage. But listen to me carefully. I'm not just talking about upholding the institution of marriage. We've talked a lot about that lately with marriage coming under attack from the Supreme Court and certain policies. We've talked a lot about defending the institution of marriage, but I'm not talking just about that. I'm talking about upholding your own marriage. You today... holding your own marriages as a picture of what your marriage is intended to be. And your marriage is intended to be a picture, however fleeting, of the forever that we will one day have with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's look at the Bible today. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount very intricately and very closely. We've been digging in deep here at Oxford for these past months and Today, what I want to do, something a little different, because the challenge is is when someone preaches the way that I'm preaching, the challenge is that you can lose sight of the context. We can miss the forest because we're so looking ahead and looking at the trees. So what I want to do today is I want us to make sure that we are finding the context and not losing the force of what Jesus is saying today. So let's read the text. And what I want to do from verse 27 through 37 is I want to draw out the implications of what Jesus is saying here about marriage. Let's see if we can hit them and see if we can find them. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 5, beginning in verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Do not take an oath, by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you again for bringing us to this moment where we get to hear your words from your word. So help us, Lord God, to be attentive. Teach us full obedience from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice something as we're looking at that text. Why on earth does divorce get two verses? Out of everything that's mentioned around it, why on earth does divorce get only two verses? If that's such a problem in our age, been a problem since the beginning, why on earth does divorce get only two verses? I believe that the reason is is because what Jesus is saying about divorce is part of a larger unit. Now look at what is directly surrounding divorce. Look at it in verse 27. That passage, you probably have a heading on top of your Bible. That heading is not inspired. It's added by the editors of your Bible. But mine says lust in the English Standard Version. Then look down at verse 33. The heading that I have in my Bible says oath. And so surrounding divorce is lust and lying. Lust and lying. And so I just want to ask you a question Do lust and lies have anything to do with divorce? Well, of course, of course, lust and lies have something to do with divorce. But that's not taking what Jesus is saying even far enough here. It's not taking it far enough. We find what Jesus is after if we look at the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember this, as we're studying the Bible, as we're reading the Bible context is king. And so when we read the Bible, we don't want to just take one verse in isolation. We want to see how that one verse fits in with not just what's immediately surrounding it, but what is surrounding it in the whole corpus, this whole body, this thing that we call Holy Scripture. So don't forget the purpose of the sermon. What's the purpose of the sermon? What's the purpose of Jesus coming? All of those questions have to be answered if we are looking at something that Jesus says. So the sermon is this entire exposition, this whole teaching of the life that Jesus has come to bring. And so what has Jesus come to do? Think about it. What's the gospel? Jesus has come into a shattered relationship between us and God. He's come into a relationship that has been shattered. In the midst of brokenness, He has come to set things right. This is the prophecy of Isaiah. Remember, every valley will be made low and the rough places a plain. This is what Jesus has come to do. He's come into brokenness to bless it. He's come into a fractured world to take that fracture and to put it back together. In the midst of unfaithfulness, He has come to restore faithfulness. And I want you to see this. You have to see this. To do this, Jesus highlights the most intimate of human relationships, the most vulnerable of human relationships. Marriage. And He seeks to take marriage and shore up what has been drifting into a sea of lostness. Don't you love this? Jesus is that kind of king. He doesn't just come to gloss over things. Y'all just be nice to one another now. He doesn't do that. He comes and puts his finger on that one spot that may be sore in your life or sore and sick in our society. And he says, hey, I'm going to put my healing hand on it. And it may hurt for a moment, but hey, the end of the results are going to be complete healing that I'm going to bring. And so Jesus has come to do that. And why then is marriage so important? Why are we emphasizing marriage on this Father's Day? Why is it so important? Listen to this. I want you to consider this. This is what arguably one of the most influential presidents of the United States is interesting. Uh, this guy that I'm fixing to quote, four years after he died, you see his name up there, Teddy Roosevelt, four years after he died, when they were commissioning who they were going to put on Mount Rushmore, it was no question as who the fourth man was going to be. It was going to be Teddy Roosevelt, most influential president in arguably the entire United States. And listen to what he said about marriage speaking in the early part of the 20th century, Roosevelt said this, listen, the transformation of the family is one of the greatest sociological phenomenons of our times. It is a social question of the first importance, of far greater importance than any political or economic question can be. Now here's a man who's the president. Here's a man that's depending upon the people to vote for him. And you hear what he said? He said the family is more important than any question of economics, than any question of politics. Don't you wish that we had someone like that today that would be able to speak truth into our society? They wouldn't necessarily care to pander a vote capitulating to the spirit of the age. He was a man who saw it as his duty to influence and to speak truth into that society. And so here, Roosevelt says, marriage... Family, relationships, it is the most important issue that we have to tackle today. Roosevelt, what he was doing was representing the biblical principle of subsidiarity. Subsidiarity. Now, let me tell you what that is. The biblical principle of subsidiarity says the smallest unit, listen carefully, the smallest unit has to take the greatest responsibility. The smallest unit has to take the greatest responsibility. Responsibility. Here's the way Al Mohler up at Southern Seminary, he said this. He helps us understand this by saying this. Marriage and family bears the greatest responsibility for the entire holding together of civilization. Think about that for just a moment. Let me read that again. Marriage and family bears the greatest responsibility for the entire holding together of civilization. There are responsibilities that pertain after that to community and neighborhood and government. Listen to this. But they can never replace, if broken, what is lost in marriage and family. They can never replace what is broken, what is lost in marriage and family. So you see, this is somebody looking after the fact. And here's our God that we're looking at today on the Sermon on the Mount, highlighting this issue of relationships, looking at divorce and surrounding divorce is lust and lies. And He's telling us, hey, there's a reason why He's saying that. The reason that He's saying that is because marriage is important. Jesus is telling us here that marriage is the bedrock of society. Society falls and rises with the family. So today... I want to give you three truths to strengthen your marriage. And each one of these truths, as we're going to see, they're going to be highlighted on the screen for you here. Each one of these truths are going to rise from these three sayings of Jesus about lust, divorce, and lies. And by the way, let's go back to the issue of subsidiarity. Remember, we said that that is the smallest unit takes the greatest responsibility Men, this is Father's Day, so the smallest unit inside the family who bears the most responsibility, you know who it is? It's us. It's the men. We just read the passage in Ephesians chapter 5 about marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands. The women got two verses. Men, how many did we have? We bear the greatest responsibility. So three truths this morning for us to strengthen our marriage. Number one. From verses 27 through 30, I think that our Lord is telling us this. We, if we're going to strengthen our marriage, number one, we must find our satisfaction in Christ. Must find our satisfaction in Christ. Now what is Jesus saying in verses 27 through 30? What's He saying? He is saying, don't look with lust. Don't look with lust. And why does He say that? He says that because we are prone to wonder. And so we're prone to wonder, and because of that, we have wandered far from seeing what is genuinely and true beauty. I was at a beautiful place this past week. I was in Arizona, and man, I tell you what, the sun coming up, hitting those beautiful mountains, man, some would say, man, I saw God's good creation today, and it's so wonderful to see God. I saw God in the sunset. And the truth of it is, because we've been so damaged by the sin, that's not God's good creation. That is a creation that even though it's beautiful, the sun rises and the sunsets are gorgeous, can you just imagine what it was intended to be if it wouldn't be shattered by the fall? So here's the truth that our Lord is telling us. We've wandered so far. Our hearts are prone to wonder. We've wandered so far from seeing beauty. We have never known what it is like to see anything as it was meant to be seen. And this is why we like talking about heaven. Heaven. This is why we like the picture in Revelations of the of the jasper and the gold and the diamonds and the pearls. We love that because we long to see something that's truly beautiful because we know that we've been so damaged by the fall that we have not seen anything as it was meant to be seen. Now listen, I'm not just not talking about with our eyes. I'm referring to seeing, not just looking. There's a difference. Remember the Garden of Eden? Remember what happened to Adam and Eve? They were seeing things one way, one day, and then another way the next day. Do you remember that? They were unclothed, walking around, no problem. Then all of a sudden they reached their hand up and they ate. They partake of this fruit that was forbidden. And then what happened? All of a sudden they desired to be clothed because they saw their own nakedness. Do you remember that? They were without clothes before. There was nothing that was bothering them. But what was the difference? And the difference was their sight. Something had changed. Once Adam and Eve saw that the fruit was desirable to make one wise, their vision changed. They went from seeing to having their eyes open to a new reality that now existed. And they were naked and ashamed. They became blind to beauty. They were seeing before they decided to disobey God, but once they disobeyed God, a new reality existed for them to see. And all of a sudden, this new reality is they desired something that was other than God. They went chasing after something that was not God. What looked like beauty to them ended up being the most heinous and the most hideous of all human affections where they turned themselves from God. And as a result, listen, you have to understand this, as a result, we who are made to know beauty, we who are made to enjoy beauty, we desire things that are not beautiful. The shame, because we've lost our sight, is the thing that is reality, not beautiful, is the thing that we deem as beautiful. And things that are beautiful, they are beyond our sight. So that's the world that Jesus came into and then all of a sudden Jesus comes in the midst of a world desperately looking for something good, in the midst of a world desperately grasping after gorgeous beauty, all of a sudden the perfect Lamb of God comes in. Don't miss this. John is baptizing and he's talking. People are asking him, are you the Christ or should we expect another? John says, I'm not the Christ. And all of a sudden he sees Jesus walking. And what's John say? Behold, look, the Lamb of God who's taking away the sins of the world. My eyes had seen beauty as he's writing John 1. He would say, we beheld His glory. Glory as the only one of the Father. And listen, the reason the apostles were able to do what they did was one reason. They saw Jesus and they never got over seeing Jesus. It's not as if we couldn't do good things. It's not as if the world can't do good things. It's not as if the world can't do things that are beautiful and pretty. But everything that we can do outside of Christ, no matter how noble it may be, is As the prophet says, nothing but a filthy rag. But now Jesus has come. And He has shown us true beauty. And now that He's come, He gives us a new song to sing. And the song that we sing goes something like this. It is a thing most wonderful, almost too wonderful to be, that God's own Son should come from heaven and die to save a child like me. And yet, I know that it is true. He chose a poor and humble lot and wept and told and mourned and died for love of those who loved him not. I cannot tell how he could love a child so weak and full of sin. His love must be most wonderful if he could die my love to win. I sometimes think about the cross and shut my eyes and try to see the cruel nails, the crown of thorns, and Jesus crucified for me. But even could I see Him die, I could but see a little part of that great love which like a fire is always burning in His heart. It is most wonderful to know His love for me so free and sure, but tis more wonderful to see my love for Him so faint and poor. And yet I want to love Thee, Lord, Oh, light the flame within my heart, and I will love Thee more and more until I see Thee as Thou before Jesus came, we didn't know how to sing a song like that. There was no such song as that. But now that He has come, the Son of Righteousness has risen, as Malachi says, with healing in His wings. And so He is giving us a new song to sing in the midst of this world that's tone deaf, in the midst of this world that doesn't know beauty. We have seen Jesus and we can sing of beauty. And if a married couple is satisfied in Christ, They will be secure with one another. If a married couple has found satisfaction in Christ, they'll enjoy one another and they won't be in search of satisfaction in any other place. Because they found the satisfaction of their souls and their soulmate. Finding your soulmate as we call it, that's just the icing on the cake. That's just the... The extra pour that makes the whole cup run over. And you know when you have a Coca-Cola and you do that and you you try so hard you begin to sip it so that it won't run over. Well, that's just what my wife is for me. That's Well, darling, that's what I am for her. Both of us, we have already found the satisfaction of our souls and my satisfaction is not her. Her satisfaction is not me. Our satisfaction is Jesus. She's just the icing on the cake for me. She's what makes this life sweet for me. She's that extra pour that makes the whole thing bubble over. And so listen to me carefully, married couple. When your satisfaction starts to drift, and your satisfaction will always, will always begin to drift from satisfaction with Christ. Married couples that... Go out and commit adultery. You know where it begins? It begins because somewhere in some place, maybe they didn't even start here, but those who started here, you know where it begins? You know why they go out and they cheat on their spouse or they lust after another woman or another man? You know where it begins? In some way, they've lost what truly satisfies. And they so they go out and they go searching for something that doesn't satisfy. So Jesus is pretty staunch here. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. You remember... Jesus is pretty staunch. He said, if your right hand causes you to sin, go ahead and cut it off. So if a married couple knows that when satisfaction starts to drift, they have to do whatever it takes to find that one point that is competing with their satisfaction and they have to cut it off. In other words, you have to take drastic measures to not lose your soul through desiring something that will never bring you satisfaction. By the way, if marriage is a picture of the forever, the first thing to suffer from misplaced satisfaction is the closest of your relationships. The first thing to suffer from misplaced satisfaction is your closest relationship. And in this case, it's marriage. And we could stop there and we could... That's enough for us to chew on, but our Lord doesn't stop there. I hope that you see it's like he's, he's sending ballistic missiles and He's penetrating the cold crevices of our heart that have been so stoned up. He is coming in like a B-52 bomber and dropping the bombs and finding those places in our heart that need to be unearthed. And He doesn't stop here. He wants to give us more support so that we can support ourselves from the barraging waves that assail against our marriage. Look at what He says next. He goes from lust And then he goes to divorce. He deals with the danger that even the best of marriages face. Divorce. And yes, brother. Yes, sister. You may be married here for 50 plus years. You may have the best thing going since whatever. As long as you're outside of the physical presence of God. Until He comes and brings His kingdom. We are in danger of divorce If you're going to strengthen your marriage not only will you find your satisfaction in christ but number two you will commit your marriage to forever you will commit your marriage well beyond forever we you will commit your marriage to eternity so the lord comes and he says what he says in verse 31 and 32 whoever divorces his wife but i say to you do you see that so many people, they concern themselves with the divorce before asking what on earth is marriage for? Now, we just read up here, Don and David. David is our youth minister here at Oxford doing a great job. His wife, Don. How long have you all been married? Fifth. Thank you very much for answering on his behalf. You said how many years? Fifty years? No, you're not that old. Fifteen. Okay, got you. All right, I, I did hear you right. Fifth, I'm sorry. All right, five. Got it. 15 years. Think about this. Here they are. They're married. I know. I'm just picking with y'all. I had them up here reading this passage of Scripture so that we could see a married couple do this for us. And they read this passage of Scripture. You know why they did that? Because we're doing our diligence with the grace of God to get this into our heads. We've already preached a marriage series, but it's always worth our reminding that God has an intention for your marriage. And it's something beyond just some Physical feeling or, you know, some financial reasons. It's so much beyond all of this. Listen to what Ephesians 5, 31 and 33 says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Look at this. And the two shall become one flesh. And then listen to what he says next. This is the kicker right here. This mystery is profound. Now some of you are like, yep, marriage is a mystery. (laughs) This mystery is profound. But listen to what He says. He doesn't just leave it at the mystery. He tells us what the mystery is. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and His church. Have you ever considered your marriage in that way? You taking the hand of your wife, you taking the hand of your husband, you are picturing Christ Church, And He says, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You see, a married couple that has found satisfaction in Christ, a married couple who understands that their marriage is a picture of the forever that we'll have with God, a a picture of grace, a picture of forgiveness, they will be a couple whose love will last forever. Now, don't you want your love to last forever? I don't know anyone, and maybe there's some, we'll put aside prenuptial agreements on the side here just for a minute. I don't know anyone who comes to the altar with divorce papers in their hand. No one says, man, I'm going to marry this guy. Well, maybe they do. Marry this guy and take his money. No one says, you're not supposed to say that. You don't understand that the, the true love stories, aside like I said, put those prenuptial agreement ideas to the side. No one comes to the altar if it's a true and genuine marriage. No one comes and says, you know what, I am so ready to get out of this thing. If you were, you should have never ran down the aisle. My wife and I have seen a couple. One time the, the girl literally ran down the aisle, and it wasn't a few months later she ran back up the aisle. They got a divorce. But anyway, that's another story for another day. But no one, I shouldn't say no one, maybe I should see most people don't come to the marriage with divorce papers already in hand. Because marriage is a picture of the forever that we will have with God. I've said that several times, and I just want you to think about it for just a moment. Marriage is a picture of the forever that we will have with God. What on earth does that mean? How does God give us forever with Himself? How does He do it? Through grace. Through reconciliation. Through forgiveness. He gives us forever. By sacrifice. The sacrifice of the eternal Son of God for sinners. For adulterers like me and you. The Bible tells a story of us. We had left our first love. We had fallen from grace. Read Hosea. Read Ezekiel. We had gone And sought satisfaction elsewhere and in all kind of places, in many different faces. But just as God came walking with Adam and Eve in the beginning, in the garden, in the cool of the day, He came seeking and saving us through the Son who took on flesh so that He could bring us into fellowship with Himself. That's the Gospel. We were far away from him and he came looking for us! A church that I was very close to was riveted with some news that the former associate pastor, man who had preached behind the pulpit in the church many times, former associate pastor had been having an adulterous affair with a woman in the church. Now this man was a picture of the grace of God, was radically saved, called graciously to pastor. I remember seeing him, knowing him a little before he was saved. And then after he's saved, we're seeing this man being raised up, God calling him as a preacher within our church, and then God giving him the gift of a beautiful wife, and then giving him the gift of three beautiful children, 20 years of marriage, 20 years of togetherness, jeopardized in a series of instances as the decision was made, not just once, just didn't happen. Decision after decision, inch by inch, the enemy got his foot in the door and then all of a sudden, this man and this woman inside the church came close and they decided to have an affair. And then word got out. He had been caught. There was no way he could get away from it. And I watched this man come with his wife and family before the church and admit through tears of his moral failure. And the most amazing picture of grace was the wife of this man holding his hand, standing beside him. So from the pew, we're all wondering what's going to happen. Is she going to divorce him? Is he going to go with the other woman? She surely had legal grounds to divorce him. I ran into this man just the other day. I ran into him and his wife. First time I'd seen them since everything had happened. The scars are still there. But healing is occurring in their marriage. Little by little, inch by inch, healing is happening. They're staying together. They've stayed together Why is that? Why have they stayed together? They understand and have made it a point for their family, for everyone who knows them, who asks questions of them, that our marriages, this side of heaven, are a picture of the forever that we will have with God. It is a forever that He has secured for us through the self-giving of Himself and no matter what, we are His. Marriages that understand this are not going to live with the exception clause in the back of their mind. Marriages that understand this are going to live another way. They're going to say this, I've been crucified with Christ, and then it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. And some of you already know, you may be saying, man, that sounds like a bunch of hard work. It sure does. Sounds like a lot of work. The most valuable things in this life usually are those things that you don't just arrive at. Things that require the most work. I can't think of anything better than working at getting my marriage to picture the forever that we will have with God. And you've got to start somewhere. When you get married, where do you start? Think about it. Where do you start? You start with words. Look at what Jesus says next. What's He talking about? The way that we speak. Now, words are so important because, listen, the reason words are so important is because nothing reveals your heart like what you say. So two people standing before the church in the presence of God desiring to be wed, what do they do? They do so with words. And everybody that's witnessing, including the preacher, we take them at their word. Perhaps you've heard Some words like this read at your wedding or you've been to a wedding and you've heard words like we say the the vows for richer or poorer in sickness and in health till death alone shall part you. we mean that? Death alone? To strengthen your marriage? Number three, you will mean what you say and you will say what you mean. Words are important. Look at what Jesus says. Words are important. He deals with oaths. Words are important because nothing reveals in your heart like what you say. Jesus said it this way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing to watch, let alone for the kids to watch. A couple who said those sweet vows of I do, I do, I do, and then they turn their frustration towards one another with what they say to each other as they lash out at each other with their tongue. You've seen some couples, I know that I've seen some couples, they talk nasty to one another and then everyone else is standing by like it never happened and maybe it's the first time that you've ever seen a couple talk nasty to one another and then someone assures you that that's just the way that they are and it works for them. I heard a story of a very well-known preacher, I can't tell you who he is because I don't want to embarrass him, it's not Charles Stanley. I heard a story of a very well-known preacher who had a nasty relationship with his wife and There was a student that went to pick him up at the airport and he arrived and this couple were fussing left and right, fussing. And so the student, he's in this very prominent pastor's house. He goes, he picks up the bags, loads them in the car, waits in the car. The preacher comes out, sits down in the car and says, hello, good to see you. I'm so glad that you're here. And then he says, wait just a minute, I just forgot something. So he goes back to the house, opens the screen door, hollers something at his wife, slams the door, gets back into the car, then looks at the student with a smile and he says, now we can go. Some of you have become so accustomed to the way that things are, you get into a rut that you've dug yourself so deep where you're now entrenched, where you can't see anything of what the horizon is. All you can see is right in front of you. You're, you are so deep into a rut that you are prevented from seeing things the way that they are, the way that life is meant to be. Jesus has come to show us. Jesus has come with this more excellent way. He's come by saying, You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And what is he saying? What's he saying when he says that over and over? You've heard that it was said, but I say. They've said, but here's what I say. You know what he's saying? He's saying that the way that you currently understand things is not the way that it was intended to be. So he says, I've come to show you the better way. Better yet, he's not just come to show us the way. Listen, he has come to himself to be the way. What a glorious way. The God coming to His creation, being made like us in every way except sin, so that He could then take on what it was that separated us from Himself. He took it upon Himself by dying on a cross and then coming back to life to give us life. What a way that He showed us what was life, what life was meant to be. And that life that He's created, that life that He's secured, one of the ways that it finds its way out is in the way that we talk to one another. Jesus comes, He doesn't just touch every area of your life, He comes to give you new life. For example, listen to how James, the brother of Jesus, He applies these truths. Listen to what He says, and I'll read this very quickly. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh in salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It may be the way that you were. But the way that you talk to one another now is not the way that you are. We can't just talk to one another in just any old way. We have to talk to one another and with one another as those who have been formed and those who are being formed, those who are seeing beauty and speaking with beauty because we've seen what life is. We are His now. Jesus has come to make us His very own. And what does this mean? We will work real hard at what we say. We will work real hard to say what we mean and mean what we say. We'll do our best not to lash out. We will not say things in the heat of the moment, but we will take every thought captive and remember Christ. It means that we will be honest with one another. We will not hide those purchases from your husband or from your wife. It means that we will speak words that build up and edify one another. And if we're going to strengthen our marriage... If our marriages are going to be the best picture of the world that is coming, of the forever that we will have with God, listen, we will find our satisfaction in Jesus. We will go ahead and commit our marriage to forever and get the word divorce, that ugly D word, out of your mouth. Don't even consider it. And thirdly and finally, as we've said, we will live a life of integrity says what we mean and means what we say. To strengthen our marriages, we will pray along with Bernard of Claveau. Listen to what he said. Oh, make me thine forever. And should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love to Thee. Can you pray that prayer? Will you pray that prayer for your husband? I hope that my wife is praying that I never outlive my love for Jesus. Because you know what that means? It means that I'll never outlive my love for her. I'm praying that she will never outlive her love for Jesus so that she will never outlive her love for me. Will you pray it for your husband? Will you pray it for your wife? Will you pray it with one another? Let me just say this. Let me say this boldly and with all authority in heaven. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you may think you know love, but you don't have a clue what love is. Let me say it a different way. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you do not know love. But if you know Jesus Christ, you know what true love is. Because love has been demonstrated towards us in that while we were still sinners, separated from God, wandering about, pursuing our own lust and pursuits, while we were still sinners, God sent His Son, seeking and saving Lost once. Let's pray together. Father, the hope that we have of Jesus is the hope that love has come to find us. Love has come chasing us to get us. To make sure that we were not going to pursue a path of destruction. Love has come to find us. So today, Lord God, whoever... Is out there that doesn't know love, whoever they are or wherever they are, no matter how far they've been, love is here. A marriage that may be on the fits, ready for divorce, ready for the end, can find a new beginning because of the love of Jesus who came and seeking lost ones. And so, Father, today, if there's anyone that doesn't know You today, may they be wise enough to say, "Oh God, Thank You for coming to find me. Father, for those marriages who need to be strengthened, and Lord, everyone that's married here today is a marriage that needs to be strengthened. May we today say, Lord, strengthen our marriage by helping us build on Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that You will have Your name in these moments of invitation. The invitation doesn't begin when the musicians play. The invitation begins even now, Lord God as you deal with each heart. Father, may people call upon you today. Perhaps calling upon you to strengthen their marriage. Perhaps calling upon you to save them for the first time. Whatever the case may be, Lord, maybe there's some who pray for the marriage of the future. Maybe there's some who pray for the marriages of those that are married that need strengthening. Father, whatever the case. In these moments, now that we've heard your word, it's an opportunity for us to worship. Now that we've been confronted with truth, let us respond to your truth. Father, whatever you desire to do in our hearts, we pray you'd give us strength to do it now. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray God will use this message for his glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.